Welcome to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley, and with me is Derek Spech. Hello. Derek, what's happening? Oh, you know, the same old thing. We're just uh, just waiting for the hard water season to get it on, and and, and uh, got, I'm packing stuff away. I'm, last trip was like last week, so I'm trying to... All my stuff was... I had to lock everything into a room so the cat wouldn't pee on the drying can well you know i i don't know if the cat would actually do that but Better like i've got sorry. i got tents and tarps and sleeping bags and everything airing out and in, in a in a locked room and <laughs> i haven't put any of my stuff away yet i'm still wait until wait until that water trip. is solid <laughs> yeah i'm still going paddling <laughs> most of my stuff is is mostly put away mostly mostly i yeah. see <laughs> Well, you know, any paddling that's happening right now, you know what you're going to have to be prepared for. Uh, cold water submersion? I don't know. Santa's. Oh, Santa's. The don't Santa get paddling off. season. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So if we you, went, we've gone from witches' uh, paddle boarding to Santa's paddling. Santa's, elves, and Grinches. Yeah. Those are the things <laughs> you're going to see pretty soon. Tis the yeah. season. Yeah. It happens. It happens. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the Christmas is on like. Just over a month away, like a month and a couple of days, isn't oh, yeah. it? What's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Month and like a couple of days. So, one, Jingle two, bells, three, three. Batman smells. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's a month and two days away uh, yeah. when people start listening to this. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. Can't believe it's almost 2024 yeah. already. Yeah. And it, it like it, it rained this week. We had a, what was it? A couple of days ago, it was minus eight, minus ten in the yeah. morning when I went to work, and that was the coldest so far this year. Right, except for when I was camping, it was about eight minus eight, minus ten when I was camping. Which and I was cozy. No, I well, for... I was in a hammock and I was cozy, but I had an under quilt. I was elevated about three feet off the ground. I was in a minus thirty three sleeping bag. Oh, gee, <laughs> I wonder why you were cozy. <laughs> I was half out of the bag. It was too hot. Right. <laughs> Uh, uh, you have a, you tell me you were having a problem with your air mattress. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's, so you, I, when you talked about your air mattresses losing air, Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, oh, sucks to be you. (laughs) Mine's working fine. Yeah. Yeah. Sucked to be me twice. But mine's only two years old. It is, I don't, I'm not going to name brands, but mine's only two years old and it's unfortunate that it it started leaking and i i checked it it like it was each night i had to or each night when i went to bed i had to blow it back up again and it's like what's going on like this is not that old and i used my my equipment very gently Mm -hmm. like the i i beat the heck out of my canoes oh speaking of which i haven't heard back about my canoe yet but i i beat my uh my canoes and paddles i've broken some paddles and my canoe is rough shape but Sleeping pads and sleeping bags and mm-hmm. tents, I take care of them. Well, same, same, same with me. But And you know what? Honestly, if I was still not feeling the ground through my air mattress, mm-hmm. like if it lost a little bit of air during the night yeah. and then the rest during the day or something like that, and I had to blow it up before I went back to bed, okay, whatever. Yeah, that's fine. But I know in my two cases there... No, I, there was like was hardly yeah, any air yeah, left. I yeah. might, it was useless even bringing it. Yeah, so it's like, do I have to go back to foam? Like, I'm going back to my original Thermarest. Um, I've got some cheap. I think I only paid 
25 30 bucks for a couple of them. Yeah. There's one I paid 45 bucks. Those are still going strong. I 250 used, to $300 for a, 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 a good air mattress, yeah. and it, it loses leaks. air. And the only reason I spent that kind of money on it is because I'm fit, getting older, and I need a, I want to, I'm a side sleeper, and I need more. Mm-hmm. I, I need something that's like two to three inches thick to, to help my hips, and so I can actually get up and walk in the morning. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so these, it's, you got to expect more than a, a season or two or one or two camping trips on an air mattress yeah. and for them to not fail, right? It's like, it's ridiculous. And so what made me think of that today is, uh, is, uh, when I was doing research, I came across some, uh, some, it's called the extreme air mattress. And so Nemo got this new one out and it's 250 bucks US and they're saying it's for extreme conditions and it's, it's got insulate, it's got whatever, however many R value insulation. Plus it's got a mylar layer inside to help reflect the heat back to you. And it's like, that's all fine and dandy, but is it going to hold air? Yeah. That's what right? they don't tell you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It does this, it does do that. Not. It'll flip a burger, <laughs> but don't expect it to hold air. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That, that's disappointing. Yeah, I've, I've still got all my old foam mattresses, like high-density yellow foam. And I've got a couple that are like egg crate-type foam mm-hmm. for, you know, they're not going to lose air. <laughs> right? <laughs> but yeah. it's just that they're they're really thin, and so you feel the rocks and stuff underneath you. Yeah, I, I'm at the point where I'm almost ready to go back to one of those blue foamies. <laughs> just rolled up. I know, foamy, right? right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I got annoyed with that. Yeah, I'm not even buying a new one. I'm just going back to my original yeah. orange therm. I can't even remember what model it yeah. is. Orange thermorest. That's yeah. like fifteen. Like how do you 20 justify spending that kind of money on an air mattress, and it only lasts a season or so? Yeah, that's or uh, yeah, like you say, two or trips. one or two trips, one or two one trips. Or two trips yeah. yeah, huh? Yeah, ah, yeah that sucks, dude. Very disappointed. Mm-hmm. Well, Black Friday is here. Yeah, there's air mattresses on sale everywhere. I'm gonna get me a new air mattress, right? <laughs> air mattresses, paddles, canoes, kayaks, yeah. stand-up paddle boards—you name it, it's on sale. <laughs> Go to a Black Friday store near you. Yeah, and, and I, I remember years ago, I used to be—I was like totally into it. I'd be like, uh, you know, waiting on the internet till like midnight when the sale would start and yep. grab a few things up and. Uh, or I remember, I remember a couple of Boxing Day sales where I actually went and stood in line outside of a Best Buy, waiting to get into the store to buy a few electronics and stuff because they were like really cheap prices. And it's like ah, I'm just not interested when did anymore. Black Friday start for the U.S. I think it was about the same time that uh, Cabbage Patch Kids and so on. Has it been around that long? Yeah, until we started going over the border for hockey tournaments. Mm-hmm. I had no clue such a thing existed. Yeah. I mean, I don't mm-hmm. really, I don't even go for Boxing Day. I think I've been maybe to two Boxing Day sales in my entire life. You, One, because just before Christmas, our VHS machine died. <laughs> okay. So we need a new VCR, better yeah. go buy one on Boxing Day. Yeah. I can't remember the second reason. The Spent second time half a day waiting, waiting yeah. in line, and it's like yeah. it's 4 a.m. getting in line. But see, I'm one of those people that when I see stuff like in the store, this is what I'm going for. Yes. I'm getting in the store. Yeah. I'm grabbing, get out of my way. I need one of those and I'm out. I saw a video this week of people going in. They're in, I don't know if it was a Walmart or what it was, but there was like 
total bedlam and the, the the guy who worked there was saying one per person and people were just slamming all these cabbage patch kids off the shelf and pe- women were squealing when they got their a cabbage patch kid in their hands and heading towards the cash and it's like wow wow yeah no that's not my scene <laughs> no <laughs> i don't want any part of that you know what these uh, these black friday sales what it's like it's like practice for the zombie apocalypse Right? right. <laughs> it's it's practice a... for in case you ever win one of those shopping sprees. You oh. have five minutes to fill this shopping cart as fast as you can. That's what Black Friday is all about. Yeah. Go, 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 if go, you go, ever go. win that contest, yeah. you're all you're all trained. What would you grab in a grocery store if you had five minutes? Food. But what food? I would frozen food. <laughs> I would be in meat like department. The donut aisle, <laughs> <laughs> sir. You've just filled up with seven thousand dollars worth of donuts. I know. <laughs> Two hundred steaks and a bag of potato chips. And a bag of potato chips <laughs> and some steak sauce. <laughs> yeah, I. I don't know. Like, yeah, you'd have to grab mm-hmm. meats. And frozen stuff. Yeah. Because that's the stuff that's going to last. You know, mm-hmm. you're not going to, oh, look at that, seven loaves of bread. Because, <laughs> you know, you're not eating yeah. seven loaves of bread yeah. before. Yeah. Ooh, 16 bags of milk. Yeah, you're getting through four of those. <laughs> <laughs> and the rest is chunky. Yeah, it have to be meat. Yeah. Freeze it up. Throw yeah. a couple you, you, frozen you, turkeys in there. You would have to go in there with... A plan. A plan. And mm-hmm. you can't get too much meat if you don't have a big-ass freezer. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> we, we got seven cows and eight pigs worth of meat and nowhere to store it. <laughs> now i got to buy a freezer. <laughs> it's not a, a deal. Wait a minute. <laughs> oh, Then you have your own raffles at your your house. You, you invite <laughs> friends over. Yes. How much you give me for that? <laughs> <laughs> Ribeye yeah. steaks? I'll give you seven bucks. <laughs> Ribeye steaks under your truck. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Be one of those guys on the on the corner of the street selling meat, questionable yeah. meat products from the back of your truck. <laughs> exactly. Buy a roast, get a free package of wieners. <laughs> yeah, Black Friday sales are are all over the place right now, and they go. What what is it after Black Friday? Isn't it like Electronic Monday? Oh or? yeah 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 e, yeah yes. What is it called? Something Monday. Electronic or Monday. Black Friday, yeah, I don't yeah, know. something like that. Something like that, yeah, yeah. But yeah, check out your all your outdoor stores mm-hmm. to get little. Now I've got a gift card I totally forgot about from sale. I've got two different um, store discounts for sale. Mm-hmm. I think I have enough money to go buy myself a jet boil. <laughs> <laughs> for like 100, 150 bucks. <laughs> New stove. New stove, yeah. Give that one a whirl. <laughs> so, yeah, if you need something, and check it out now. And yep. if you need something, go buy it while it's on sale. Because, mm-hmm. you know, come Christmas, if you think, oh, I'll get it for Christmas. Yeah. It may not be there. Mm-hmm. So, check it out. <laughs> uh, we went to Banter and Company Brewing on the weekend. Oh, yes. We had a beer a, date. For a couple of beers. Mm-hmm. Did the flights and uh, that was pretty good. Yep. Talked, talked about paddles and yeah. John Brower met up with us there. Well, I mean, I didn't really advertise we were going until about an hour before we left. <laughs> hey, by the way, we're heading over there like yeah. in an hour. <laughs> Anybody wants to show up? John's like on that, like, yeah, okay. 
<laughs> uh, yeah, it was good. I think we're going to maybe see if we can get, uh, yeah, that'd be neat to get together get an and start doing there, something. An like afternoon or something on a Sunday. Yeah, it was fun. Yep. It's a nice place to do. They have their own pizza oven and stuff. And mm-hmm. make some, some nice pizzas. Snacks. Yeah. And they also have, but they don't open till three, I think they said. Corrado's is a restaurant next door, yes. I think it is. Yeah. So if you want anything better. But the thing about this is, this place, Banter and, and uh, Company, is you can bring your own food. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. right. The, even right at the bottom of their menu, it says, bring your own food. No, seriously, bring it. Mm-hmm. So if you want to, if you, you know, stop, stop over McDonald's at, and- at the barbecue place <laughs> up the road, because yeah. I think there's a barbecue place up the road, and then you bring it down, you order some of their beers. Perfect. And eat your barbecue. Huh. At least they're selling beers. Yeah. Right? That's brilliant. So, yeah, so that's that's pretty perfect. Yeah. So I think we'll uh, maybe do that one day. Uh-huh. It was fun. It was what, <laughs> it was funny. I didn't, I didn't see it happen at the time, but... Uh, we were you were making a social media post, so you took a picture of me holding up a, a glass of beer, and then, and then John John took a picture of us doing which, that. Yeah, so he has a picture of Sean taking a picture of me. Right, and it's, it's it, posted baby. there. If anyone would look, that's yeah, on our Facebook. It's page. kind of funny. It's yeah. uh, you get the that was the your uh, Irish perspective. Stout. Yeah, it was an Irish stout. Oh no, it was a crisp winter. It was a winter. No, because the winter was clear. Rur. No, 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 it's not. Did you have the winter uh, uh, porter first? Yeah, winter porter. I only had one beer. Oh, that's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah. It was uh, John that had the Irish stout afterwards. Yeah. 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 And I just had the flight. Yeah. Uh, As well, another thing that actually just came out. Remember Jeff's Maps? Yes. Became, he he moved over, Jeff McMurtry moved over to uh, work with his buddy Decky on Lostify Maps. Um things have been slow moving over there. It has been before. slow. Yeah, they've been they've been talking about an Algonquin Park map, canoe route map since before COVID. For years. Yeah, and people are starting to get a bit, you know, well, I guess hey, it's never coming out. He just announced uh sad news. Decky has parted ways with Unlostify. Yep. Uh but being that as it may, Jeff now I guess I don't know if he's the Phoenix the, is reborn. Is the only owner. He's decided to change the name from Unlostify to Maps by Jeff. Yeah, and so, it's brilliant. It brings a little bit of the essence of his original, first, his original, mm-hmm. and uh, so he's still using some of the format of Unlostify, but it's called Maps by Jeff. So it's he's uh, got his name in there again. Yeah, I'm excited to see where he's going to take this. It's uh, well, Algonquin maps are being folded as we speak. Yes, they're supposed to be released waterproof in about a week. Yeah, and they're going to be waterproof and everything. Yep. So that's great. I'm excited to see where he goes with this. Yeah, ditto. Uh, what else we got? We got a few things, man. Let's start. When in doubt, paddle it out. Baylor University in Waco, Texas, uh, has a lifetime fitness as a requirement for all students. There is a lot of freedom in what they get to choose for that college credit. It's a university, but they call it a college. I don't understand. Yeah, there's down the states they do that a lot. Some yeah. of them are actually called university colleges. Okay, well they so they, there's a college credit they have to have. Yeah, it's a it's a a requirement for all students called lifetime fitness. So there's one student, Kenneth uh, Prab- Prabakar, uh, he pushed off the registering for this 
Lifetime Fitness for the longest time because he was undecided about all the options. They don't go into saying what all the options, different what, things you can do. What's the idea? Be, what's this Lifetime Fitness? What's the idea behind it? You have to choose some sort of fitness course. Just a course? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they they have a list of different, different okay, ones. Okay. So you have to pick do. one. Yeah. He says one class stood out, paddle sports. Paddle sports is a kayaking, stand-up paddle boarding, and canoeing class. Oh. At? At Baylor University. Mm-hmm. Class is broken into four units, kayaking, tandem kayaking, stand-up paddle boarding, and canoeing. Units go in ascending order of difficulty level, with canoeing requiring the most technical ability. Huh. See, I don't know. I'd put kayaking after stand-up paddle boarding. I mean, paddle boarding, you need the balance, but... Sano kayaking has got to be tough. I've never done it, but you got to coordinate with another paddler. Yeah. Not hit them over the head with your paddle if you're in the stern. Accidentally on purpose <laughs> a third time. Uh, considering this was a water sports class, the only time we could actually get soaked were when we practiced rescues, which would typically only happen once per unit. With each class, everybody got more comfortable on the water and it became second nature, he says. Every unit came with its own set of challenges that were fun to work through. Although canoeing required a little bit more thinking, aha, uh-huh, than the other. <laughs> it's more cerebral of a sport. <laughs> uh, than the other medium, stand-up paddle boarding was the most different as it required balance. Hmm. Uh, he says, now that the marina is closed due to water temperature policies, and this is down in Waco, Texas. Yeah. I'm thinking, that's hot, so how? Okay, whatever. Uh, I will say, no other lifetime fitness can bring the same emotions as paddle sports do. Something about starting your day off on the water was incredibly relaxing. So can you imagine first thing in the morning, you're out there paddling? As a university credit? Yeah. <laughs> how do you get that gig? I know. Views were unbeatable for a lifetime fitness, and it was pretty routine to see turtles and fish almost every time. Paddle sports are not traditional in any way, but if you're willing to roll the dice, I promise it will be worth your time. That is pretty cool that that is a college or university course. Yeah, it's a credit. Right? That's, That's, huh. How come they didn't have that when I was going to college? (laughs) They got ripped off. And you know what? This is something like this is a good way to start your paddle sports interest, mm-hmm. you know, without having the big cost of buying yeah. your equipment just to find out you don't like it or renting it all. And that sort of, I mean, it's part of your curriculum is a college mm-hmm. credit. So it's. I wonder how many people would go into the paddle sports industry following one of these, these college university credits. Depends what they're doing. I It'd guess. be interesting. Yeah. Like this is you started your life out of university, learning a paddle sport, and that's what you do as a life goal, your career. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Uh, it's a good way to get training required. Yeah, without having to pay an outside. Like I mean, up here we got Paddle Canada, which people you know they'll they'll sign up for canoe level one, two, three, all that kayak level one, two, three. We we did canoe polling. You know, mm-hmm. they sign up for that and they have to pay for that. Or here you're, you're getting that training. Yeah. And and you need your, a, you need so many credits to graduate. Yep. And so I guess it's better than choosing basket weaving or something. Ooh, is that an option? <laughs> <laughs> canoe weaving. Canoe weaving. I, oh. wove, I wove my own canoe. I wove my own canoe. Yeah. <laughs> so that's pretty, that's pretty cool. 
another thing, I've seen this story about the last couple weeks. Yeah. Been going around. I, I kind of, I didn't think of it from our perspective because, it, but then I guess they were in kayaks. But it's just, it kind of made me turn my head. It's like, what in the... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fiona, the loneliest sheep. Fiona is described as the world's loneliest sheep, was rescued from the base of a cliff where she had apparently been stranded on her own for at least two years. That's good thing. There's, I assume there's a lot of grass for her to eat. I got to think there's, yeah, there's enough food for her to eat for two yeah. years. And she is, I assume she fell off the cliff in the first place. I would think so. <laughs> uh, now, what gets me is when you're talking about the farmer, he doesn't seem like he's got sheep. Yeah. So the question is, where did this sheep come from? He just, yeah, so yeah, and the sheep are a herd mentality animal. Yeah. So in 2021, uh, she, Fiona was spotted by Gillian Turner, who was paddling along the coast of Sutherland in the Scottish Highlands with her kayak club. Fiona was on a shingle beach at the bottom of a stretch of steep, rocky coastline, and Turner said that. As they paddled past, the ewe kept uh, pace with them, calling out until she couldn't go any further. She finally turned back, looking defeated, uh, said Turner, who assumed that the sheep would go back to wherever she had come from. (laughs) However, October of this year, two years later. 2022. No, 2023. October of 2023. Yeah, this year. Yes. Turner made the same kayak trip and was horrified to see the animal. Now with terribly overgrown fleece that was touching the ground at the back, apparently still stranded. (laughs) So from 2021 to 2023. That's a long time. to. That's huge. Hmm. She called out on our approach and once again followed the group along the shore, jumping from rock to rock, calling to us the whole way. Uh, Turner describing the experience as heart-wrenching. We honestly thought she might make her way back up that first year. The poor ewe has been on her own for at least two years. For a flock animal, that has to be torture. And she seemed desperate to make contact with us on the two occasions we've gone past her. So lonely. So somebody's lost this Mm -hmm. this sheep. And she apparently, uh, you're making some assumptions here, which are got to be accurate, but there must have been a freshwater source coming off the cliff. There had to be a field of grass that was growing year round. Mm-hmm. Because, like, how, how do you survive out there? How do you right? survive for two years? Plus the Scottish winters. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. And like, can you imagine eating only grass for? <laughs> I don't like grass myself. <laughs> I'm not particularly a fan. <laughs> imagine having to eat broccoli. <laughs> for two years, boy, you every think, day you get for two probably. Years. She never ate hay again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Turner had tried to get help for the U after she first spotted it in 2021, but the various agencies she contacted said there was nothing they could do. When she went public with the sheep's plight in October of this year. A group of five farmers assembled some heavy equipment and managed to haul Fiona up the steep slope from the beach. She was in good condition, all things considering, and the rescuers announced that after being checked over and shorn, uh, Fiona would be rehabilitated before being released at Del Scone Farm Fun, a farm park that is open to the public. 
a good news story, right? So what went wrong then? <laughs> Apparently nothing for Fiona, as far as she's yeah, concerned. she's a happy sheep. Uh, <laughs> Apparently she's healthy, safe, and presumably no longer lonely after her rescue, though the police had to be called to the farm after animal rights activists were accused of intimidating staff during which was described as a peaceful protest. It seemed the members of Animal Rising had intended to rescue Fiona and spent three days scaling the cliff to build trust with the animal. <laughs> they said they had an agreement with the landowner to rescue Fiona and take her to the animal sanctuary near Glasgow. However, when the group left to get supplies, they claimed the landowner broke the agreement and brought in the farmers, with the rival rescuers smuggling the sheep out. <laughs> Such a dastardly deed. Sheep smuggling. <laughs> There's a bunch of sheep smugglers, if i ever seen them. The activists said the protest was over the fact that they did not feel that a petting zoo was the best place for Fiona. Farm manager Ben Best said staff had found the visit scary and claimed the farm intended to do the right thing by Fiona, adding that she is now in a secret secure location until rescuers feel it is safe for her to move. She's been moved to a safe house <laughs> to avoid sheep smugglers. <laughs> so we have two groups of people each trying to accomplish the same goal for each and each in their own eyes doing the right thing by Fiona, unable to work together in creating a situation where people felt intimidated, accusations flew, and police had to get involved. If Fiona had any idea of what was going on, she might prefer to be back on the beach, away from humans again. We can be the best of times, best but at, we can, times. at times, but we, we can also be the absolute worst. <laughs> so you can almost see it, so... In whatever way that these protesters thought they were doing something, the farmer who they had to deal with, the farmer probably said, you guys are crazy. Somebody's going to get hurt. I'm going to get my farm buddies, and I'm going to get the sheep because I don't trust you guys. Well, the thing is, taking three days to get used to the sheep. Yeah. Just, this lady just paddled up to it. And, yeah. Hey, you want to get out of here? Yeah. I'll smuggle you out. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'll get you shorn. I'll get a fleece jacket out of the deal. <laughs> I'll help you escape. Huh. Amazing what you see when you're paddling, eh? I know. I know. Uh, hey, do you have audible books? I used to. I got rid of it. This is an audible book. I prefer reading them myself. Oh, right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, this podcast has turned into a comedy. <laughs> reading books. <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, I have Audible, have had it for a couple of years and listened to some good stuff. I am in the middle right now of, I just finished one book, Broke, Hungry, and Happy, The Life of Extreme Kayaker Dave Norell. This one sort of, I'll, I'll, I'll get to the, I'll, I'll tell you what it's about. And it, it sort of, sort of hits home. Uh, feel the adrenaline rushes. Dave Norell plunges over huge waterfalls, get lost in the Philippine jungles, experiences carnage in Costa Rica. Uh, in need of medical attention, Dave and his extreme kayaking friends trudge through high, waist high sugar cane full of poisonous snakes. I heard that one. I'm just like, nah, I'm not going. <laughs> I'm out. Yeah, I'm out. Uh, in search of a road that has a bit, has been washed out by recent floodwaters, Dave and fellow kayakers travel through 
throughout Idaho, British Columbia, other parts of Canada and the U.S. in their quest for whitewater adventure. Secrets are revealed, lessons learned, and lifelong friendships are formed. So this is back when people were starting to make the films, the movies and stuff like that. And, you know, they were starting to explore all these new rivers and yep. the sport. The sport wasn't definitely not what it was or what it is today. Mm-hmm. Like this was like the start, but it sounds like the start of when this was happening, right? Uh, this book has something for everyone, outdoor sports and recreation enthusiasts, as well as those who can relate to love and loss. Author Ray Ann Norell, his mom, uh, shares from the heart how she literally picks herself up off the floor to begin a journey no parent wants to take after receiving a phone call, rec- receiving a phone call telling her that her 24-year-old son Dave died while competing in a triathlon. Her journey from grief to eventual recovery and healing offers hope to those who have lost a child. Dave's life inspires and his message shines through. Live life to the fullest, pursue your passion, and follow your heart. So it's about... Well, that took a turn. Right? Uh, Whitewater kayaker Dave Norell, written by his mom, Rayanne. The book is divided into two parts, and I, I, I did like this. First part is written from Dave's point of view. So she has, like, diaries and journals yep. and, and, and videos, all that sort of stuff. Uh, everything about starting his paddling life, how he chose to live, his love for whitewater, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the second part is written from his mom's point of view after his death. So spoilers here, kind of, sort of. If you had a potential life-threatening condition, would you want to know about it and live a careful life? Would you not want to know about it and go live a carefree life as an extreme whitewater paddler? And if you already were an extreme paddler and found out, and I'm just using paddler because Mm -hmm. of this, and found out about the condition, would you put a stop to your lifestyle? Hmm. Why I say this hits home is, is, if you're going to listen to the book, plug your ears now. Yeah. When he was a teenager in gym class, he fainted. Where's that at in the story? In the book. Oh. You got to listen to the book <laughs> or read the book in your case. So he, he they found that he had this heart issue. Okay. Which they said, didn't know if he'd grow out of it or, or whatever. But he's exerting himself and passed out. Hmm. Um, he'd get dizzy at times and different little things. When I was a teenager... There's, I went through a, a, a spell where if I stood up too fast, I would yeah. pass out. Yeah, I would stand up, start walking, and then pass out. We put it down to heart issue, wasn't yeah. pumping enough blood at the time because I was growing so fast, and that's what they said it was. But now I look back on what was happening to him, mm-hmm. starting to think. Maybe if you had an issue that you grew out of, or grew, if you had, or how I made, your life would be different if you yeah. had. Yeah. So, yeah, so for him, it's like, do you live a life of quiet comfort and I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go to the extremes, a quiet, comfortable, boring life and you live to your, to 45. Become an accountant. Become an accountant. Or do you say, you know what, I'm going for it. I'm going to do is I'm going to crush as much into my short life as I can and I'm going to enjoy it and I'm going to do the crazy stuff and... And, and, you know, you live life hard and what is it, uh, live life hard, burn up fast or 
They're, slide into your grave going, woo, what a ride. Yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> so he was, I mean, he was only 24. Mm-hmm. But the thing that got him was something that he never did. What? Like all the extreme whitewater stuff he did. Yeah. And then he decided this one time he's going to do a triathlon and it was the bike race. It was the bike. Yeah. Huh. You wouldn't think, like, yeah. I mean, how much effort do you put into, I mean, mm-hmm. you watching these guys, I mean, you look at like, um, uh, Dane Jackson and, and yeah. Scott Lindgren and all those guys doing the white yeah. water, you know, they're doing these massive waterfalls mm-hmm. and, and thing, and you're watching them go down, how much effort that takes, how much. A lot of effort, you but know? they're not using their legs. <laughs> and well, and that, that's it though, but they're still, yeah. you're still doing a lot of mm-hmm. energy, yeah. expending a lot of energy in that, right? But then, yeah, he goes and does a bike ride. And 24, age yeah. 24. Hmm. Cause remember we, t- we, t- we had so that one. Did they say what was wrong with his heart? Yeah. There was a congenital heart issue. That's, okay. They didn't get too, they didn't get too much into okay. it. Uh, and I don't want to spoil the book for anybody yeah, yeah. who wants to, but you mm-hmm. know, but you know, okay, you can unplug your ears now. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, is it's cause we taught, we had that one episode a little while back there about risk. Yes. Right. Yeah. So, do you do you risk? Right, because he he talks about the bar graph where it's steady and high, and then poof, just drops off. Mm-hmm. Or do you just keep it nice and gradual? Yeah. And, and that, I think I'd have a pride. And we we said we'd prefer to be somewhere in between the two of them. Exactly. Take your moments of risk, and mm-hmm. I, I I and I came across something similar to that today, and it was uh, it was people are used to the wrist and the extremities of, uh, extremes of, of, uh, physical activity and kayaking and canoeing and mountaineering and whatever. And so this, the story this guy wrote was from the perspective of, uh, he's hitting about 50. He can't do what he used to do. He's lived his life. He's done what he wanted, but now everything he does, he has to consider, he has to weigh it and say, well, I'm going to, I'm going to do this, this, uh, paddle trip. I'm going to do these portages. I'm going to do whatever, uh, but I'm going to pay for it for about two weeks. Right. Is, it, is this you we're talking about there? <laughs> no, no. Actually, it's a, it was, <laughs> was an, this article, an article by Derek. It was an article on gear junkie. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that, I mean, that's it. You got to take an age into consideration mm-hmm. as well with, with what you're doing, but yeah. the risks, but Anyway, that was uh, a yeah, broke, hungry, and happy: the life of extreme kayaker Dave Norell. It was actually a, a good book. <laughs> I hadn't read this article that you put here, and so when you start talking about Dave died, it's like, wait, what? What? What is he talking about? <laughs> it was Dave a great book. Died. Dave died. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, the way the book is written, she mm-hmm. did. His, his mom did a really good job on that. Nice. Uh, the one I'm listening to now, and this is, uh, now I'm sort of going down a rabbit hole with this one. The Last River, The Tragic Race for Shangri-La. The Last River, The Tragic Race for Shangri-La is a breathtaking account of the ill-fated October 1998 expedition of an American whitewater kayaking team. Apparently, anything whitewater I've been reading and listening to lately involves dying. (laughs) Uh, they traveled deep into the Sangpo Gorge in Tibet to run the Yarlung Sangpo River, known in paddling circles as the Everest of Rivers. For Wick Walker and Tom McEwen, extreme whitewater pioneers, best friends and trip leaders, the Sangpo adventure was a culmination of a 25-year quest for glory, 
Yet the team's magnificent dreams crumbled when their ace paddler was swept over a thunderous eight-foot waterfall never to be seen again. Here is a fascinating exploration of both the seething big water and perilous terrain of the legendary Shangri-La and the men who dared challenge the furious rapids that raced through this 140-mile-long canyon. The Last River invites us to view the Himalayas from a totally new perspective on a historic river so remote that the only, most, only the most hardy and romantic souls attempt to unlock its mysteries. I'm about a third of the way through the book right now, and there's a lot of history they've been covering so far, mm-hmm. like going back to like the early like eight early eighteen hundreds and stuff, and people going over there, like the British sending guys over there to to survey and um, trying to find different things in, in this gorge that there's a five mile stretch no one's ever been able to get to. Um, now with satellite imaging, you're looking at stuff and. You can't tell. There's always been this rumor of a 100-foot waterfall, and no one's been able to say, yeah, it exists. No, it doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And going back to all the writings from these histories and diaries and journals of these um, uh, surveyors and explorers and stuff Mm -hmm. is really cool. But this is like the holy grail sort of thing for a lot of people to do the first descent. Yes. Of the Sangpo River. It is. It is. It's a drive. It, mm-hmm. every, we've always been, we've always strived to be the first up a mountain or the first down a river. And, and some of these, first, there's not too many firsts left. We're running no. out of them, right? Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, you can see, you can see the drive. Somebody wants to be the first to do this. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I'm, <laughs> I'm actually listening to that one now. So, the last river, uh, the tragic race for Shangri-La. Uh, unfortunately, I mean, kind of know what happens. But since I started looking, I, I, now I, I got, I'm getting into it. I'm starting to Google. <laughs> Damn you, Google. <laughs> you are my friend. Uh, there's, yeah, there's, I've, I've watched a couple of YouTube videos on it with Scotland Grin and stuff. And there's one on there about his run of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, at one point, there's Sherpas hold, basically hold them hostage. They want $10,000 now or we don't continue. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. And, and there's no way out mm-hmm. sort of thing. Um, there's like 1,000-foot cl- So it's 16, I want to say 1,000 feet deep. What? Or 16,000 below. So yeah, I, I got to get that. Hmm. Yeah. Um, but it's near, it, it's like you pass Everest on the way. It's like the Everest of kayaking sort of thing. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, as high as you're going up, that's going down sort of oh, thing. Oh, wow. It is deep. Hmm. And they show pictures, like there's some pictures and stuff on there, and you're just like, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of um, extreme kayakers that when they say, hey, we're going to do this, are you up for it? They go, yeah, no, I want to. Not in. Uh, yeah, 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 just yeah. skip my name off your yeah. list, buddy. There's I crazy, and then there's. <laughs> and then there's the Sangpo River. <laughs> yeah, but you see some of the, the this gorge. Um, it's like narrow and thousand foot cliffs. Mm-hmm. If something goes wrong, there is no help for you. Exactly. Right. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So you got to save yourself. So I'll let you know what happens at the end of that book when yeah. I finish listening to it. I'd be interested. But broke, hungry and happy. The life of the extreme kayaker, Dave Norell. I really liked the, the part from Dave's point of view okay. from his journals yeah. and everything that they got from him just to how he started and what his thoughts were and. And uh, he sounded like a pretty cool guy. Uh, the Last River, The Tragic Race for Shangri-La. If you're into Audible or just into ordering books, get those two and check them out. Mm-hmm. 
So you mentioned that there's uh, a lot of death and destruction there in, in your recent books. I can, I can make a prediction right now, and it's, it's a bit of a shocking number. But uh, I predict that within the next 100 years, about 8.5 billion people will die. 8.5? Yeah. 8.5? Yeah. In the next 100 years? In the next 100 years. Within the next 100 years. Now, I'm going to go (laughs) (laughs) 8.48. I'm holding the hope for a few of them. About every hundred years, there's a fresh turnover of people. A fresh turnover? <laughs> we get a new batch? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh. Nobody gets out alive. Oh, I may not get out, out alive, <laughs> but I'm going to hold on for as... I always <laughs> said it's going to be 142. <laughs> I'm going to die when I'm 142. Well, and I, I am going to live to be a burden on my great, 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 great grandkids. <laughs> <laughs> well, they do say that... Uh, there's a person alive today. This is all to do to medical discoveries and medical, uh, you know, just just the science of, of learning the science of the body. That the, there's a, the person who's going to live to 150 is alive today. You think so? Yep. It won't be us. So you get these people that are like 110, 112. Right? Yeah, and that's that's extreme. Right now, that's yeah. somebody who's doing genetics. That's genetics. I want. Well, you go to the island. I think is of Sardinia. Yeah, yeah. There's they some have, locations. In Italy, yeah, yeah. They have the the highest concentration of long lived people. Yeah. I want to live to be like 112, <laughs> because when you're hanging out with wherever, whoever, and you're 110. You can stay and do whatever you want <laughs> and be totally senile because people are going to think, oh, he's only doing that because he's a senile old fart. I am going to – I would be doing stuff like just because knowing full well yeah. what I'm doing. Everybody's going to – everybody wants to interview the 112-year-old and it's yeah. like, oh, boy, here we go. We're going to have to interview this guy again. <laughs> What do you what do you contribute your long life to? Well, let me tell you: hookers, whiskey, cigars, <laughs> race car driving. Yeah, just make stuff up. Exactly. You know. Yeah. Cocaine every third Friday. Yep, exactly. Oh man. Yeah. I'm, I I want to be that guy. <laughs> just knowing having all my faculties. Yeah. And just. Faking that I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Have fun with it. I'm going to have so much fun. I mean, what are you going to do? Yeah. I mean, all your life savings have run out at that point. (laughs) (laughs) I got enough to live till I'm 100. Oops. Uh Uh-oh. 108, 109. (laughs) So we were talking about this earlier, Dubai. Do you think paddling when you talk Dubai? Never. I think of sand, sports cars, uh... I, yeah, I don't think of... Uh, Big buildings, fancy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oil fields yeah. and creation of land. And Every year, the Dubai Fitness Challenge brings groups to the United Arab Emirates residents together for high-energy fitness sessions. Notably runners and cyclists for the Dubai Run and the Dubai Ride. For the first time, the event added the Dubai Stand Up Paddle to its roster of events. So you're thinking, oh, there'll be a few people there, whatever, maybe 100 or something like that. 
Organizers reported that up to 1,000 stand-up paddleboarders made their way to Dubai to enjoy complimentary stand-up paddleboarding sessions. That's incredible. A thousand. Mm-hmm. Tremendous success of our first ever Dubai stand-up paddle clearly demonstrates the burgeoning enthusiasm for outdoor fitness within our community, says Ahmed Akaja, uh, chief executive of Dubai festivals and retail establishments. This event went far beyond gathering individuals for a day of physical activity, because you figure, okay, show up, go for a little paddle, go mm-hmm. It aimed to cultivate a lasting commitment to health and well-being while fostering an inclusive and accessible sporting culture. We aspire to inspire residents and visitors alike to embrace an active lifestyle that extends far beyond the Dubai Fitness Challenge. So they're trying to build a paddling culture mm-hmm. there, right? Yep. And yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I don't, you're not going to see canoes there. You're going to see Chances some kayaks. Right. Yeah, you know. kayaks, stand-up uh, paddleboards. But yeah, the stand-up paddleboards and stuff like that. Uh, had a kayak hosted the water sports enthusiasts at the event, which comprised training sessions, a mass participation challenge, and sunset stand-up paddleboard yoga classes. Training sessions were 30-minute slots open to anyone aged five and above of any skill level. For the challenge, participants navigated a dedicated paddleboard course and received a certificate upon completion. Uh, for a moment of Zen, there were two sunset yoga sessions, also held on boards and run by expert instructors in the center of uh, the dam's waters. Hada is located approximately one hour and 30 minutes from downtown Dubai. Hmm. Sounds like a good deal. Yeah, it's it it's just sounds unusual, too. I wouldn't. Ne- this is the last story I would have expected. She's chewing a lot of stuff. Yeah, what is she chewing over there? <laughs> our 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 recording studio dog is apparently chewing something and tossing pieces all over the place. Oh oh, she's ripped up. She's <laughs> totally ripped. Yeah, she's destroyed her bear. There's and there's, there's bear guts everywhere. There's bear guts everywhere. That's what she does. She <laughs> she comes down here when I'm working during the week. Yeah, and she sits there and chews different toys, <laughs> and you can tell because there's like fluff. Everywhere. Now she's got the dead bear carcass. She's ripped the top of its head right off. I've sewn that like four times. I can times. still see the eyeballs and yeah. the nose, but... You can hear little bear screams. <laughs> Stuffed <laughs> bear screams. Oh, uh, Sorry, I just looked and I saw something going on and then yeah. I saw pieces flying behind you. I'm like, what's going on? Uh, anyway, yeah, an uh, hour and a half uh, from, from downtown Dubai. The D- Dubai Fitness Challenge is an initiative of chic... Hamdan bin Mohammed, Crown Prince of Dubai. Now in its seventh year, it runs annually in October and November to encourage participants to take part in 30 minutes of exercise daily for 30 days. Hmm. A great way to promote community fitness. Yeah. Right? Especially if you get that, that many people. I know. It's, it's, in, it's wow. neat to get that many people together. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, people that find they enjoy stand-up paddleboarding are going to go back to the rental places and retail stores for, for gear. And that's one thing about trying it out for free. Yeah. Because then you find it. You go, oh, I like that. Well, come and see yeah, us. Now I'm going to go spend some money. Or spend some money. So great for community economy mm-hmm. as well. Right? Very cool. But yeah, like I say, I saw that one I think in Dubai. So did it say what month this was done in? October, November. So it's happening, just happened. 
See, I'm trying to. <laughs> I'm curious how hot it was at that time. Hot, because our our hottest month are like July, August, right? Mm-hmm. And I wonder what their hottest months are. January to December. I would think that their hottest months would be uh, unbearable hot. January to December. <laughs> That's why people want to get out in the water because yeah. they could accidentally fall in many, many times <laughs> <laughs> just to cool off. <laughs> Uh, there is a group of scouts from Troop 77 in Eagle, Idaho. Uh, what is it? Be prepared. And were you ever in Cubs and Scouts? Never. Never? No. Oh, man. I think I still get somewhere packed away as my Cubs and Scouts uniforms. And you get the, the little badges. You earn the badges for different things and stuff. They saved a man's life in Hell's Canyon. Scout Brendan Carabench said it was more of like just a fun outing for all of us scouts, just canoeing down the river seven miles. It was meant to be just a fun little stroll down the river, which is how things start. Quickly changed. After stopping for lunch, the boys continued their journey down the river, but were stopped by a hiker who was trying to get the scouts' attention. Uh, she was waving us down saying, there's this guy down the river. Can you help him? Henry Cavanaugh was another scout on the trip says we were in the first canoe. We were more worried because we were closer to her. We were able to see the fear and panic in her face. That's when the scouts met 80 year old Eric Valentine. He was hiking in Hell's Canyon when he slipped and fell down the side of the hill while trying to pull a weed out of his boot. <laughs> a weed, not weed. A yeah, weed. A weed. <laughs> <laughs> Got my weed in my boot. <laughs> Having serious injuries from the fall, he was able to claw himself up the steep embankment back to the trail in hopes of finding help. Luckily, help would soon be there. Cavanaugh uh, explained, as we got closer, we realized, oh, that's a person. They were not moving very much, and that's a problem. So we started to coordinate once we landed the canoes and a lot more. Uh, we find, we provided first aid, McCoy Bond said. It felt like another scenario that we normally practice, but it was just going through the motions. After treating Valentine's injuries, the group stayed with him and made sure he was comfortable as they waited for first responders. See, this is the stuff that you get trained. You think, oh, I'm I know how I'll to never do use this. this. I'll never use yeah. this, right? With the help of Idaho Power and a few good Samaritans with a boat, they eventually were able to transport Valentine down the river to a spot where he could fl- uh, be flown to a local hospital. Uh, Bondolid explained, our whole motto is to be prepared. It is, it's in your life and everyday things. Speaking with the boys involved, they seem just to be thankful they were able to help save Valentine's life, and they know the skills required to help in that situation. They are going to be honored with the Heroism Award, one of the highest honors a member can receive. It's, uh, I hope I am able to go hiking when I'm at 80? 80 years old. Mm-hmm. Don't keep your weed in your boot. <laughs> But, you know what, like, that's, that's the thing is, I mean, like, we had to learn all these things when I was in Cubs and Scouts, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. fire building, tent, and all these different things, knife sharpening, and, you know. Yeah. And you get all these little badges, and you're happy when you get them, and, and whatnot, and first, you learn first aid, and, and yeah, I'm never going to use this, but hey, <laughs> hey, I got a badge. And for them to be out on a canoe trip, and then actually 
come across it and yeah. sound like they they did a, an awesome job and dude's still alive. So I hope they get extra badges for that. <laughs> badges? We don't need no stinking badges. badges. Actually, we do. We do. Talking to Scotch. Bottle Ooh. of Scotch whiskey. <laughs> was, was, that, was that a segue? Talking of Scotch. Yeah. <laughs> Wait. This, this goes to Kevin Callan. This, nice this segue. little thing is, is for Kevin Callan. <laughs> that wasn't a segue. It is a segue. Are we now on talking about Scotch? <laughs> yeah. See? But usually there's, a, there's a bridge sentence that gets you into... Oh, this was a steep bridge. <laughs> The bridge was under construction at the time. We just jumped off of it. <laughs> Into the next one. Okay. Uh, this this one goes out to Kevin Callan, okay. our resident um, scotch lover, whiskey lover. A bottle of scotch whiskey billed as the most sought after in the world sold for almost 2.2 million pounds, 2.7 million dollars. An auction record for a bottle of wine or spirits. The Macallan Adami 1926 sold at Sotheby's in London after a bidding war between would-be buyers on the phone and in the room. Just 40 bottles of the Macallan 1926 were bottled in 1986 after being aged in sherry casks for 60 years. That's incredible. I'd like a bottle of your 60-year-old, please. <laughs> Another bottle from the same cask was sold by Th- Sotheby's in uh, 2019 for almost 1.5 million pounds. Because, hmm. you know, yeah. pocket change. Crazy. Pocket change. Would you drink it at that price? Would you actually drink it? It's, it's at, if I got at, enough money to lay down $2.2 million <laughs> for that bottle, I'm drinking it. I'm grabbing a straw <laughs> and using it like a juice box. That's going down my gullet. I don't but care if I get Chances wild are anybody poison. who's spending that kind of money, it's like an investment. It's like, this will never be opened. <laughs> but you're never going to sell it for more than that, really, yeah, yeah, either, yeah. are you? Uh, the Macallan 1926 is the one whiskey that every auctioneer wants to sell and every collector wants to own, says Johnny Fowles, Sotheby's Global Head of Spirits. The bottle sold is the first to have undergone reconditioning by the distillery ahead of auction. This included, and this is what gets me, replacing the cork. Yes. And applying new glue to the corners and the bottle labels. Mm-hmm. It's going to get noisy in here. In a minute, she I found think. the squeaker. She found the squeaker. <laughs> uh, if you take the cork out and put a new one in, mm-hmm. have you not just opened that bottle? They reconditioned it. That's it. They didn't ah, They pulled the it. cork they out and they put it. a new one in. You opened the damn <laughs> bottle. I don't care what you want to call it. <laughs> It does make sense, though, because cork does break down over time, mm-hmm. especially when it's exposed to atmosphere and plus the alcohol. Do you the think they would do it in like a vacuum? Oh, I'm sure they did in a container room. or yeah. something. For at, at these prices, the McAllen is going to be very careful with it. Mm-hmm. Hmm. The final price of two million one hundred eighty-seven thousand five hundred pounds, or two million seven hundred fourteen thousand two hundred fifty dollars. I presume that's U.S. dollars. Yeah. Well exceeded the pre-sale estimate of <laughs> 750,000 pounds to 1.2 million pounds. Wow. Almost doubled the high. Yeah. The expected, yeah, the pre-sale estimate. Wow. That's incredible. So Kevin Callan, 
<laughs> if you want to go halfers on the next bottle that comes up, give me a shout. Yeah, that's incredible. But you know, just just think of the the rarity of that. So this, like, I've I've heard stories like this once in a while where there's a cast that gets forgotten, mm-hmm. right? So the cast gets forgotten, and somebody discovers it years later. It's like, oh, hey, look, this is forty years old now, and whatever, right? Yeah. So it's it's. I don't think anybody purposely left this to sit for sixty years. I think it just it got caught it was like in a corner underneath some other barrels and nobody ever got into that corner sat there for 60 years and it's like oh look what we found once in a while you hear a story like that like you know the, yeah some 30 40 year old casket found and and so it's it's interesting another thing that's interesting is when you talk about scotches and whiskeys and stuff and the rarities of them right so back in uh back in 2010 there was, <laughs> I can hear the squeaking back there. <laughs> the, back in 2010, the, uh, down in uh, Antarctica, they were they were refurbishing the uh, the Ernest Sackleton's abandoned expedition cabin. Oh yeah, right. So back then, they, it was the, the, his his Antarctic exploration period was 1898 to 1915. And so during that period of time when like, you know, he, he did at that time make it the furthest south as anybody ever did before. So he set that record at that time. Yep. But you think about it. You, so you build a, a shack and, and you're, you're doing whatever you, what are you generally in general terms? If you're an explorer or if you're doing whatever, what are you going to bring with you? You're going to, you're going to bring some booze. So in 2010, when they were, because they wanted to restore the cabin, Ernest yeah. Shackleton's cabin as a, because it's a historical site. Yeah. Right? So anyway, so they, they were, they were refurbishing it. They were pulling floorboards and they found a case of, it was a case of, what's it called? McKinley's, McKinley's whiskey. And uh, so it was bottled in 1898. And when they discovered it, it was like 102 year old whiskey, and uh, so they, you know, they sent it back to I can't remember what. Uh, they I know s- they sent it to one one of the museums, I think it was, and they were taking samples. Yes, they sent through it to the a cork, dis- and they sent it to a distiller because the, this yeah. this this uh, this distiller didn't look. They didn't exist anymore, so they sent it back. They somebody took samples, and uh, and then. So the, there was like two cases of it. So the uh, at the time the um, the prime minister of New Zealand personally went to the uh, the Aaron Shackleton's uh, uh, site and put three of the bottles back under the floorboards. Oh, I thought they put almost all of it back. Uh, he said they put three bottles of it back, but they found two cases. So there's some of the stuff that went into like people's museums and I, the, oh, okay. the distiller who took over the McKinley's distiller, they got some of it uh, to hold on to. Plus, they also took samples to recreate it if they could. Mm-hmm. But th- that's that's amazing. Like, this is not something you, that's not, this is not something you're going to find on the market either. Right? No. No, I thought I thought they had had took one bottle out, took samples from it, put it back in the case, and then put the cases back. I didn't think it was just three bottles that they put back. They, yeah, so it says here they put three bottles back. Uh, they, uh, what does it say? Anyways, they do say they brought three bottles back, but they had found 
the it was the McKinley's whiskey was amongst three crates of scotch and two crates of brandy buried beneath the basic hut that Shackleton had used during his adventurous 1907 Nimrod excursion excursion to the Antarctic. Hmm. So yeah. So, so who knows what else is out there? Yeah, there's for the finding, right? And the thing with like wine's going to go bad, and yeah. this, that, the other thing's going to go bad. But like hard liquor, like scotch and whiskey, it, it does. It just it doesn't age anymore, of course. But it doesn't go bad unless the cork fails and yeah. other stuff gets in. But yeah, general in general terms, like especially like they say, it didn't it. it Minus 22 degrees temperature under the floorboards of this shack. It was never cold enough to actually get like minus 60, the scotch or whiskey might freeze, but it never got that cold under, under the floorboards. So it never got to freeze the liquor. But uh, imagine just so there's, there's things out there that still undiscovered mm-hmm. just waiting. And But well, for this, this one that they sold here for 2.2, hmm. if I had a whole bunch of rich friends and I was rich, I would buy the bottle. Mm-hmm. And then call up my friends, ask who wants some. Yeah. And then whoever said yes, charge, divide that price by the number <laughs> of people so I get all my money back. <laughs> or except for it's, my share. And we'd all sit around and just drink that bottle. It's $55,000 a shot. Right? <laughs> and people would probably go, okay, I'm in. Give yeah. me two shots. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, how many shots do you want? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would, I would drink the bottle. Mm-hmm. If I can afford to put $2.2 million on a bottle. Chances are, yeah. I'm drinking it. Yeah. I right. want to try this out. I'm going to bring in somebody who Without knows. a glass. I'm just I'm chugging. <laughs> I'm going to drink it through a straw. Right. <laughs> $10,000 a sip. <laughs> right. Oh, this is so good. Oh, I spilled some. I'm going to just suck that out of my shirt. <laughs> yeah. I just spilled some. That's $5,000 I just dropped on my shirt. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you remember we talked about Kayak, the, the band? band? Yes. I do remember that. That was yeah, like a year and ago. And they, they, they broke up a couple of times, got back together, broke up, da, 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 da. If you can sing progressive rock, you can dub foreign language movies. This, uh, the satisfying double career of ex-kayak vocalist Edward Reekers. He has worked on, the, on dubbing of foreign films into Dutch, including oh. Harry Potter, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory... His voice was also featured as Obi-Wan Kenobi, my hero, in Star Wars, The Clone Wars, as well as Pinky and the Brain and Mulan. He was the singing voice of Ling. That's incredible. So all these things getting dubbed into Dutch. He the man. So you think about it, you're like, so you start a band, you're a lead singer, your band breaks up, you think, oh, that's it. But no, this guy's created an entire new career out of it. Right. You never think it when you start that garage band in your parents' garage that you're going to end up being doing voiceovers in movies. And apparently, for Harry Potter, yeah. his son also got ah, right a part to, to play to voiceover. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Yeah. See, my parents were never into anything amazing like that, so uh, so I'll never have advantages like that. That's <sighs> <sighs> so why we blame our parents for everything. Yeah. Uh, do, 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 do. where are we going here? Oh, uh-huh. so this one here, 10 outdoor hobbies. I came across this one. In our fast paced world, taking the time to reconnect with nature is essential for our mental and physical well being. True. 
Outdoor hobbies offer the perfect opportunity to step away from screens, breathe in the fresh air, and embrace the beauty of the outdoors. True. Here are 10 diverse outdoor hobbies that allow you to reconnect with nature and rejuvenate your soul. Now, they say these are diverse hobbies, but as far as I'm concerned, they're all pertain to paddling. Really? Really, honestly, truly. Number one, (laughs) hiking adventures. Sure. They're saying go hiking. Embark on a journey of discovery with hiking, a versatile outdoor activity that combines physical exercise with the serenity of nature. Whether you're a beginner or an experienced hiker, there are trails suited to every level of expertise. Lace up your hiking boots and explore the scenic wonders nature has to offer. How is this pertained to paddling? We call that portaging. (laughs) Number two, gardening therapy. Digging your hands into the soil can be a therapeutic experience. Gardening allows you to connect with the earth, providing a fulfilling connection to the natural world. How is this into paddling? Foraging for food on a backcountry trip. I didn't see that coming, but I Uh see it now. Uh I see Uh it now. See? Bird watching bliss in number three. Okay, there's birds. Embrace the stillness of nature and observe the avian wonders around you with bird watching. All you need is a pair of binoculars and a guidebook to get started. Bird watching offers a mindful way to appreciate the diversity of bird species and the soothing sounds of the outdoor. While paddling, you see an awful lot of birds, do you not? Herons. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, I see And sandhill cranes and loons. Bird watching it has to do with paddling. <laughs> Number four, photography excursions. Yeah, I can see that. Capture the beauty of nature through the lens of a camera. Photography excursions provide an opportunity to document your outdoor experience and share them with others. Learn outdoor photography techniques. Experiment with different perspectives. Create your visual diary of your encounters with nature. Who doesn't bring a camera of some sort on a paddling adventure? True. Whether it's a camera, your phone, or whatever paddling (laughs) number five fishing serenity yeah absolutely for those seeking tranquility by the water fishing is a time-honored outdoor hobby whether you prefer the excitement of catching fish or the calm of waiting on the shore fishing offers a sense of connection with natural surroundings kayak fishing and fishing for dinner on a canoe trip (laughs) paddling yeah yeah yeah, right Uh mm-hmm Number For anybody six. who's lost track, these are 10 outdoor hobbies that relate to paddling. Right? <laughs> Just to and remind you of where we're going here. They, they are diverse <laughs> outdoor hobbies. No, they're all just paddling hobbies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Camping escapades. Canoe tripping. <laughs> <laughs> That's an easy one. That's an easy one. <laughs> oh, number seven. Kayaking and canoeing. Oh, well, that... Speaks for itself. I don't see the relationship. I don't see the relationship there. Number eight, yoga in nature. Combine the benefits of physical exercise and mindfulness with yoga in nature. Practice yoga outdoors to enhance your well-being and foster a deeper connection with the natural elements. Find a peaceful spot and let nature inspire your practice. Stand up paddleboard yoga. (laughs) Paddling. A friend of mine, she used to do stand up paddleboard yoga. And it just, like when I first heard about it, it baffled me. But then I saw videos of it, and it's like, I would be so wet constantly. I'd be like falling in the right? lake, falling in the lake, falling in the lake, falling in the lake. Like, 
we're talking full on yoga on a stand up paddleboard. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's going to take some core strength right there. Uh, it's going to take balance beyond <laughs> what I've got. Number nine. Now stick with me on this one. Trail running thrills. I just read what you wrote. (laughs) Experience the thrill of trail running as you traverse natural landscapes. Trail running provides a dynamic way to stay fit while immersing yourself in the beauty of nature. Choose scenic trails. Adapt uh, adapt your pace to the terrain. Relish the exhilarating experience of running amidst the great outdoors. (laughs) Being chased by a bear or a moose down a portage. (laughs) Trail running. (laughs) Thrills. (laughs) paddle related absolutely (laughs) number 10 geocaching adventures engage in modern day treasure hunt with geocaching this outdoor hobby combines technology and exploration challenging participants to find hidden containers using gps coordinates geocaching adds an element of excitement and discovery to your outdoor endeavors there are geocaches on our local river we've seen them We found one. Paddling. What, what river was that? That was, what you call that? Duffins. Duffins Creek. Duffins, Duffins Creek, Yeah, that yes. little birdhouse thingy yep. that was hanging yeah. from uh, yep. from the tree in the middle of the river. I just couldn't remember the name of the creek. Yeah. See? They say these are diverse yeah. hobbies. These 10 outdoor hobbies offer a diverse range of experiences, each providing a unique opportunity to reconnect with nature and refresh your soul. Whether you choose the tranquility of fishing, the adventure of hiking, a.k.a. portaging, or the mindfulness of yoga, spending time outdoors is a powerful way to rejuvenate both mind and body. (laughs) Diverse my butt. These are all paddling techniques. They all work. They all work. It's just it was a really long stretch for the gardening therapy. (laughs) Foraging and yoga. Foraging for food. (laughs) <laughs> oh, people go there and get the mushrooms and all that oh, sort yeah, of stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that wasn't, a, <laughs> if anything, the, the trail running thrills. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is a thrilling trail run. Yeah, yeah, I'm being chased by a bear. Down a portage, because it has to deal with paddling. paddling. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the last one I've got here. Oh, yes. It's becoming more of a trend, I think, I think saw- lately. Kevin Callan talked about this. Yes, yeah, yeah. When one adventure ends, a new one begins, but this one is bittersweet. Kitchener, Ontario Outdoor Adventure Gu- Adventure Sorry, Kitchener, Ontario Outdoor Store Adventure Guide is getting ready to close its doors for good after 40 years. Some days 40 doesn't sound that long, but in 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 store years, store years it's a lifetime. That, yeah. that is. From kayaking, camping, hiking, or hitting the snow-covered hills, the store has been Waterloo Region's hub for outdoor activity. Owner Mike Fury has been a part of the journey since 1989, working his way up along the way. Uh, I started working in the sales floor, so I was doing the basic fundamental job of every store, dealing with the customers on a daily basis, he says. Fury and his wife eventually bought the store from the previous owners in 2002. He's seen the business make multiple moves and improvements throughout the decades. The current space is 14,000 square feet. We went from just under 3,000 square feet to about 8,000 square feet and jumped to this one, he says. Uh, store has adapted to changing consumer interests, but those interests and habits have shifted recently. Customer traffic has gone down slightly over the last couple of years, he says. 
and from the from a rise in online shopping to yeah. a struggling post-pandemic economy, those are just some of the factors contributing to the decision to close. We're closing the store permanently. I'm going to retire. This is fundamentally a retirement sale, uh, says the 60-year-old owner. A lot has changed for Adventure Guide, but one thing that has remained the same is their attention to customer service. We always got the products we needed, and if they didn't have them, they would order them, one customer says. And if it didn't work for you, if it wasn't right, they wouldn't try to sell it to you. I like that in the store. Mm-hmm. When yeah. they look at you, when you're saying this is what I'm going to use for, and they go, no, no, that's not what you want. That's, yeah. that's more than you need, mm-hmm. or that's not going to do what you need. I, I like I that. I respect that. Longtime staff members will miss the loyal customers just as much as they'll be missed. It's nice to help people when they're going on interesting trips. So you get to talk to them and work them uh, through coming in, thinking that they want what they want and then what they actually need, says longtime employee Mike Allen. That's exactly it. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, this is what I want. No, no, that's that's that may be what you want, yeah. but that's not going to do. This is what you need. You think that's what you want. But- yeah. Well, some staff members aren't sure of what they'll do next. They say they will never forget this adventure. Hmm. That's a shame, man. Another another store going going yeah. up. There's you know? there's a lot of that lately, post pandemic and so on. It's like the people's buying, and it's not just. I, I think the pandemic kind of pushed people towards online shopping mm-hmm. because before it there was a there was a lot of there was a lot of resistance to go online. I remember in any form you'd be on and on any given day people would be harassing people who were just purchasing stuff online and not doing the mom and pop stores. Yep. But then everything seemed to the attitudes changed overnight once the pandemic happened and and stores like this they, like this is this is not a new story this is not going to be the last time we'll hear something like this so no, but i mean even like how often do you carry cash now oh exactly yeah that's right? that's something different like that's a pandemic thing i used to always pay stuff for cash i like paying for this stuff for cash and yeah and now everything is like like there's tap on my phone and tap on my watch and there there's it's your debit easy. card tap yeah I've had $40. I got two $20 bills in my wallet that have been there for about three months. Because, hmm. yeah, everywhere yep. I go, I just whip out the, the debit, tap, 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 yep. tap, tappity tap. We are in a, me and Siobhan were in a local store downtown Bowenville a couple weeks ago and we are buying some some Christmas stuff for the kids and and uh, and the, right there at the cash, it's like, we do not accept cash. Really? So it was only contactless payments, like wow. a tap or whatever. And it was like, oh wow, that's like you're starting to see a few of those here and there, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's uh, the people are getting away from it's becoming a cashless society. Like th- they talked about a cashless society before this, but now we're truly becoming it because we're starting there, yeah. Post pandemic, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's a shame. Like I said, I prefer to go in and if I'm going to buy something, I want it in my hand before yeah. I buy it. Hmm. You know, I know, and so that was me too. Like, I, I would never, ever, ever have considered buying any item of clothing online mm-hmm. because it's like I need to look at it, I need to touch it, I need to see yep. what the quality is. I want to look at the stitching. I want to know that this thing's going to last more than like a year. You know, like, yep. it's like an air mattress. You're going to want to know it's going to last. <laughs> <laughs> Even had it, I had it. <laughs> but yeah, uh, so it's it is different. It is different. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a shame that they're uh, they're going out of business, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what? He's 60. He can retire, and hopefully he can uh, yeah. do a lot more things that he's been yeah. wanting to do, him and his wife. Uh, that's all I've got. I've got one more thing. What do you got? One more thing. 
So when, when I showed up for our beer date on the weekend, I was all bundled up. I had my uh, fluffy down jacket, my toque and stuff because it was cold. I was at a, at a Christmas parade. And so at the parade, it was the kid's idea. And, uh, and Siobhan cooked up some ideas too. And I hadn't really thought about it, but uh, it's like, hmm, that sounds like something reasonable. So they said, they were saying that me and you should create our own float display for a Santa Claus parade. We could, like, to, we talked about doing this at Burning Man. You create this canoe that you paddle down the street type thing, right? So, me, Mr. Christmas. <laughs> Stella said she'll dress up like a, a a tent, and Beckett said he would do something too, and and uh, we could paddle a canoe and have a banner for Paddling Adventures Radio, and we'd float down the street, and I said, no, it wouldn't be Paddling Adventures Radio. we just make something stupid up. and <laughs> But no, but you do it for Paddling Adventures Radio. Do a Christmas float. You, it's unbelievable. Everybody and their dog has a different float in the parades, and like in Bowenville where I was. Me, Mr. Chris. Can I dress up as the Grinch? <laughs> you can. There was awesome. a lot of Grinches there. We saw, I saw See? at least eight or ten Grinches. <laughs> <laughs> Dog's licking me again. So She's getting restless. <laughs> so so I just, I, I, that's what I was talking to you about uh, when I said, hey, I got an idea. <laughs> well, it wouldn't be this year we do it. No, it's too late this year. It's too late this year. Yeah. But next year. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you'll I, all I forget about by next I year. I just thought it would be funny. It's just like we'd have to come up. We'd have to come up with a plan in like July because we'd have to build something. A float with a big rock and a broken canoe in the middle. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, and bodies yeah. scattered. Reindeer bodies scattered. <laughs> Santa in the broken canoe. Yeah. Oh, that'd be awesome. A half butchered, <laughs> half butchered reindeer in the bow of the canoe. <laughs> the crowd goes silent as we slowly drive by. <laughs> what did I just what see? Did, <laughs> who who okayed that float? <laughs> that'd be awesome. Yeah, Anyways, I mean, remember that for next it was, year. It was a remember that for next year. Yeah, just remember yeah. the kids came up with it. I'm right. Yeah, yeah. Sure, <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, other than that, you got anything else? I don't. Just that. <laughs> All righty then. <laughs> closing moments. Closing oh, thoughts. oh, and there is a new blog post up on. Oh yes, uh, yeah. On our um, website, paddlingadventureradio.com. Go to the blog page, the campfire. Mm-hmm. Dun, 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 dun. Look at you getting your apparently creative juices is, flowing. Apparently, um, it is beautifully written. <laughs> well, your wife has to say that. Well, paid her twenty bucks. <laughs> she she has to say it, but she didn't have to put it. Type it. So I paid her twenty bucks, and she typed it out. <laughs> Uh, if you want to find out more about us, you can go to paddlingadventuresradio.com. We're on Facebook, uh, Instagram, and X, Twitter. Oh, yeah. I always forget. Yeah. Download or stream our episodes on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Player FM, and all your favorite podcast downloading sites. Or you can just go to the episode page at paddlingadventuresradio.com and you can download or stream all the episodes there. If you enjoy the podcast, please share it with your friends, family, and fellow paddlers. I want to thank everybody for listening this week. I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Derek Sprest. We'll see you next time.